celebrating our Easter season. I hope that you are having a wonderful time uh, going through the Book of John challenge, the Easter challenge. Uh, I do want to say, uh, uh, in defense of our team, I know last week we were short some books, and so uh, if you have not made it by the office this week uh, to to get your Days of Easter challenge book, they are in the in the at the core there. After service, you can go and pick that up and um, finish out the the time there in the journal that the pastors have put together for you. Uh, we made the uh, the number that we had people sign up for. And so that's always good news when you need more. And, uh, but that's one of the reasons that we were short. And so we appreciate your enthusiasm, finding partners and, uh, going through the days of Easter challenge with us. Do want to remind you, uh, today that, uh, on the 25th, uh, we will be celebrating our, our Easter service, a big Easter celebration down at Coughlin Saunders. And, uh, that week, uh, we will, all three of our service, Services will worship together. Um, this is something we've been wanting to do ever since we went to uh, Saturday nights, and uh, neither one of our venues are large enough uh, to bring everybody together at one time. Uh, both our sanctuaries only seat about 175, 180. We could push this one about 225, but uh, it'd be it'd be tight, amen. And so uh, we're going to all go together, worship together at Coughlin Saunders uh, Performing Art Theater downtown. So go ahead and, uh, man, mark your calendar. We have some uh, tickets. You do not need a ticket to get in, uh, but we have some tickets for you to hand out to your friend. And so we encourage you. They're in books of five. And so we encourage everybody to find at least four or five people, one family, that you could invite to come go with you and celebrate on that on April 25th. Now, this does not mean that we will not have Easter service on the 1st, amen? And so we're going to have a big Easter service the next weekend. But here's the reason that we're, one of the reasons that we're doing it on the 25th, because a lot of you uh, go home, uh, go, to, go to church with your parents or your grandparents, and uh, we have a tremendous collegiate ministry, and they all will be home for Easter. And so, uh, man, Brandon's running anywhere from 40 to 50 college students on Thursday night, and we want to celebrate Easter with them. And so uh, we wanted to do it the week before. And so we will have service on Easter, April 1st, but we will be on the 25th at Coughlin Saunders. So if you come uh, to this service that morning, uh, there will be somebody here directing you uh, for 1030 at the Coughlin Saunders. So go ahead and get the word out for us. Get your tickets to pass out, invite for people to come after service. Amen. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of John, chapter 8. Last week, Pastor Brandon did a phenomenal job. Did he do a good job last week? Amen. Amen. Boy, I am just blessed. Go ahead. You can give him a hand. That's all right. And uh, uh, Mr. Billy told me I better not be gone too much because he might take my spot. And uh, But I want to say, Brandon, thank you. Pastor Lance preached last Saturday night. Thank you. Thank you to all of our team uh, that made it so possible last week. It was really a, a great time for me and my, my wife. We were able to get away, and we were speaking at a church. And, uh, man, I went to the guy when I was 16 years old. The, the person who was my pastor at the time led me to Christ. You've heard me tell my story on that Friday night that I went to the bonfire with one mission. And, 
man, he introduced me to somebody else that totally set my life on a completely different direction. And so last week, uh, we were at his church, uh, had a legacy weekend, and I was able to go and share, and Christy taught some. And so it was a great time for us there in, in Florida. So uh, thank you for the freedom to do that and for all that God's doing in our hearts and lives here. But to, today, I want to pick up where Pastor Brandon left off last week. We've been talking about the light. When the light comes into the world, uh, the, 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 the world didn't comprehend it. Matter of fact, last night, South Campus, we looked at that verse out of Psalms 139, where it says, even the darkness is light to him. And we were looking at that, and, and Pastor Brandon was talking to you, preaching about Nicodemus. And uh, man, when he found the light, he realized that he had that false light. And then he began to say, what must I do? What must I do to inherit the eternal life and the eternal light? You know, we, the new thing today is all across cemeteries, there's these little solar lights that the sun charges in the daytime and they burn at night. Cemeteries are now lit with these little solar, solar lights. And so, uh, but if that's your only light, then you've come up short. You see, Jesus lit a light thousands of years ago on that great getting up morning. And in John 8, we discover a little bit more about that. It's a lengthy passage, so let me just introduce it for you. Jesus is well on his way in his ministry. He had been pursuing what God was doing in his hearts and in the hearts and lives of his disciples. And uh, man, in that context, things were starting to happen. And then things began to get a little bit rough. He began to press them about going deeper and not just having this experiential relationship with Jesus Christ. He began to press them and say, you must eat of my body and drink of my blood. And many of them turned and walked away and was with him no more. And so in that context, he began to move and, and then he began to press through that. And so all of a sudden, uh, to quantify it for you, it had been like a church split today. People that he had invested his life in began to walk away. I'm going to tell you something as a pastor. No matter how long you've been in the ministry, it hurts when people just turn and walk away. Turn and walk away. When challenged or pressed or tried to stretch to grow, and they turn and walk away. And so in that context, what we're seeing here is that that was happening. Many of them were turning and walking away. And what he was saying to them was so interesting. And so now all of a sudden, this trap is set for him. You ever had a time in your life where you got some bad news and it was followed by bad news and it was followed by bad news, followed by bad news? It's kind of where Jesus was at this particular point in his life. And so now he's had all this bad news and then these guys come and they want to lay a trap for him. They want to lay a trap for him. And so they find this woman that is committing an adulterous relationship. And in that particular point, they drag her out in the streets and uh, tell her, they drag her out, there she is, out of the bed of adultery, and uh, in the streets, and they go and get Jesus. And they say, Moses said that we could stone her because she was caught in the very act of adultery. What do you say? And Jesus said, well, according to the law, Moses is correct. But let him who is without sin cast the first stone. 
So there was this big spectacle there. All these people were gathered around. Now, who was the one that drugged this woman out of the bed of adultery? The religious leaders. Who were the religious leaders? Well, you remember last week there was a lot of religious leaders there. And in that text, there wasn't but one that came and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Wouldn't but one. Nicodemus. When the light began to shine, we began to realize some things were happening that was interesting, and so it was Nicodemus. Nicodemus was the one that was wanting to do away with the old and the new was pulling him. And there was something about the life of Jesus that was drawing him in. And maybe it wasn't just the life, but it was the light. You remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about the light. We talked about how some bugs are drawn to the light. Moths are drawn to the light, but roaches run from the light. Well, with all these people that were there in John 3 last week, there wasn't but one that came out towards the light. And when the light began to shine, the rest of them began to go the opposite direction. And so in that context, what he was saying is, all these accusers were there. There was this big show. There was this big thing happening. And so in that passage of Scripture, man, and this dynamic, she says she was caught in the very act. In the very act. Well, don't you know that was a spectacle? They were, they, they thought for themselves, oh, I got it. Man, we, we finally got Jesus. We have finally tripped him up. If he says, well, we're under this grace stuff that he's talking about. If we're under this new dynamic and this new context that we're talking about, then, then we will say, then you're against Moses. But if he says, kill her, then we'll say, then you're negating your grace. And then Jesus says, I say unto you, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. When your aha moment becomes an oh me moment. And Jesus, the Bible says, stoop down there on the ground. And as he, all those were gathered around, he stoops down before them and he begins to stoop down there and he begins to write on the ground. Boy, this has driven theologians crazy forever. What did he write? What did he write? What was on those scriptures that day when he was writing on the ground? I don't know what it was that he was writing, but it was enough that laid, uh, allowed them to drop their rocks. To drop their rocks kind of like when an attorney finds somebody to negate the testimony of a major witness in a crime. Boy, all the air goes out of the room. And I'm telling you today that Jesus said, go ahead. Sure. Fulfill the law of Moses. Crush your head with stones. But you better make sure you have no sin in your own life before you do it. And he looked around there in that passage of Scripture, and we can pick up and we can read this in verse 9. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went away. Why was it their conscience? Their conscience, why was that what was convicting them? Because they knew, they knew what was undone. They knew the secret place in their own life. And probably, I don't know what it is, but I'm preaching so I get to assume, he probably wrote some of their sins in the dirt. Maybe even drew a little error. Maybe some names. Who knows what he was doing there that day. But whatever he wrote in that sand revealed the inner content of that heart. 
And then it says, one by one, they began, they one by one, beginning with the oldest and even to the last. This is interesting. What he is saying is the one who had the most power. The most power. The leader of the group. What is the leader going to do? Is he going to run forward? Is he going to die here? Is he going to throw the rock? If he does, we will follow suit. But when the leader dropped his rock, then those underneath him began to drop their rocks. One by one by one by one. And Jesus was left alone. And the woman was standing there in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are your accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And then Jesus spoke again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Amen. Amen. Now let me go back and read a verse in John 1 from the first sermon. And these things were made through him, and in him nothing was, without him nothing was made that was made. And in him was the life, and the life was the light of men. Was the light of men. What I am saying today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, is this. What God is wanting to do in our hearts and lives is something very simple. He is wanting to bring us to the place where he disarms those things that are against us. Do you not know that's what that Friday was about? On Friday, he who knew no sin became sin that he might, we might become the righteous sons of God. On that Friday, the prince of life became the thief. Between two thieves, he was crucified as a criminal right there on the cross. And he went down as a thief, but he came up victorious with the keys to death, hell, and the grave that we might have life and we might have it more abundantly. Can somebody say amen this morning? Wow, what a Savior. That man walked, was standing there in the presence of a woman who was so sinful that no one argued about her sin but jesus looked at her and there's several things there's four things i want you to write down today number one what does jesus do he exposes the heart of everyone else i believe one of the greatest tragedies facing america today is the church i believe the church has forgot what it's like to be holy we have forgot what the standard of holiness is And we think that we can drag any old thing in the presence of God and expect Him to bless it and He's going to bless it. Listen, you may command a lot of things. You may command your little Alexa that you give orders to and she responds to you and says the temperature and the time and will play music and take orders and do all these things. You may can order her around. You may can order your children around. You may can order your employees around. But I am telling you, you do not have the authority to order the Holy of Holies, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ around. You cannot demand what should be holy. He demands it. He sets the standard. He establishes the status quo. And I believe today one of the great tragedies is that the church has forgot what it was like to be burdened in sin. 
We forgot what it was like to have something that was so oppressive in our life that we couldn't seem to get the victory over it. Or maybe we become so accustomed with the oppressiveness that's in our life, we wouldn't know how to live without it. Maybe today what God is saying in our heart is what He does. What does Jesus do? He exposes the heart. He exposes the heart. Preachers love soapboxes. They love to get easy applaud lines. They love to get easy amens. They love to pick out the big sins that they know everybody's against. But I'm telling you, what about when it gets to the part where the Bible says, for him who knows to do right and doesn't do it, that is sin. Oh, I mean, they love to get on the bandwagon against homosexuality and all these things. But what about holiness? What about holiness that God's calling us to that we should live holy because He is holy? Do you not know that your body was bought with a price? Therefore, you are the temple of the Holy Ghost of God. Therefore, honor Him, glorify Him with all of your being. What Jesus does, He stoops down and He begins to write. What does He do? I wonder if He was in front of you today. What would He write on the ground? If He was in front of me today, what would He write on the ground? You know, the reality is I don't have to wonder because I already know. I already know. I already know. For me, yes, there's things I struggle with. Yes, there are things I cannot get the victory over. But He is making a way for me to escape them where in all of my humanity there doesn't seem to be one. What He does... What he does is so overwhelming. What he says, what he says is the next thing. It says, and let those who have never sinned throw the first stone. What he does, what he says, by his actions, he gives them permission, but they realize the permission that has been given unto them, he doesn't have the authority to take it. They don't have the authority to fulfill it. Because they know that they have sin in their life. Not only what what Jesus does, not only what Jesus says, but look at what Jesus calls. Conviction. Jesus has come into the world to convict the world, not to condemn it. See, they offered her condemnation. And they said, we are we have the right to kill you because of your sin. When Jesus got through, they were so convicted by him exposing their heart. He didn't have to condemn them. The Bible says this, and everybody knows this verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Skip down a few verses and it says, For Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through Him the world might be saved. And this is the condemnation, that men loved the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were dark. What did Jesus do? What did Jesus say? What did He expose? What did, what these things that are happening, what did He cause in that moment? He caused conviction, not condemnation. The woman who was caught in adultery, laying there in the street before all of her accusers, naked, drug out of the bed of adultery, Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And He looked at all the rest of the accusers, all of those who thought they had the authority to issue an order of condemnation, an order of execution, 
persecution and he exposed their heart. And what I want you to know today is that one of the greatest tragedies facing humanity is that you are unwilling to accept the finished work of Calvary. You are unwilling to see yourself as Jesus sees you. First of all, as a sinner in the hand of an angry God who's waiting to take you out of the hand of anger and put you in the hand of grace because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross of Calvary. One of the greatest tragedies is that we cannot agree with God on the grace of God, on the mercy of God, on the truth of God, on the light of God, and that we cannot forgive ourselves. That keeps so many people from walking in victory because they cannot forgive themselves. So many people I know are struggling. Not for the grace of God. Not to be forgiven by God. But to accept what's been imparted to them. What Jesus caused. But look at what he cleansed. Woman, where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus is masterful at this. Whether he's speaking to the Samaritan at Jacob's well, dealing with answering the hypocritical uh, traps of the religious establishment, whether he answers questioning honestly with Nicodemus or relating to those who deem sinful or condemning the others in the eyes of God, Jesus was the master. Jesus sent her accusers away and he began to shine the light because he is the light. My friends, what does this mean for us today? Here's what it means. First of all, Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Everybody likes that part. But then he said, go and do it no more. He didn't say, I know it's going to be harder in the year 2018 to live a holy life, so I'm going to lower the standard of holiness. He said, Go and do it no more. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He said unto her, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness. Are you tired of walking in darkness? Are you tired of groping for the light? Straining your eyes to see what he is saying. Have you ever been caught? Ever been caught? Right now, you're not answering because you're really thinking, which time? I've been caught. ever been exposed I remember when I went to school we uh one teacher taught most of the high school Englishes and uh she would give the 10th grade 10th graders she'd give them the ninth graders 
test for a practice test and vice versa all the way through there. And so it didn't take us clever people long to figure that out on the playground. And so we would just swap answers. Ninth graders would swap, tenth graders, twelfth graders would swap, eleventh graders. You catch the drill. And so, boy, one day I was in the middle of making the swap. And I had the answers that were hot off the press for the test. And there I was, stooped down in the hallway, getting what I needed for that test. And I felt somebody standing over my shoulder. You, you know that feeling, don't you? And so when I turned around and looked, it was my mom. She was a teacher. <sighs> caught. Isn't even the answer. Not only was I caught, but I had ruined it all for everybody else. I was the most hated kid in school for a while. Well, between all the dumb kids. Well, have you ever been caught? Have you ever been exposed? Have you ever been condemned? Have you ever been sentenced? We've all been caught at some. And what the devil wants to do in your life is drag you out there. And tell you that you're useless. He doesn't love you. There's no hope for you. You've been this way too long. But for those of you who know Jesus. He's really saying. What sins are you talking about? I don't remember them anymore. In the book of life. They've been blotted out. I don't remember them anymore. Thank God I am free, free, free from this world of sin. I've been washed in the blood of Jesus. I've been born again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I am saved, saved, saved by His wonderful grace. I am so glad that I found out I'm so glad that I found out. I'm so glad that I found out that His precious blood has purchased and pardoned me. I was talking to my someone the other day about an issue that had already been dealt with and the devil was trying to drag it back up. And I said, you know what this is? This is the full context of Revelation 12, chapter 12 where it says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren and he accuses us before the throne of God day and night. The devil wants to accuse you. He wants to keep reminding you of that. But the Bible says he's the accuser of the brethren. And for those of you who have been born again, no matter what your sin is, no matter what your sin is, when you look at him, if you have given it to Him, He takes it away. The Bible says, cast it as far as the east is from the west, never to remember it any more. Maybe you just need to agree with God. Agree with God. 
He loves you just like you are. He wants to redeem you from what you really are because He wants to take you where He designed you. 